Sunday a week from now, according to our calendar, is Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. And the ninth of Av is when both the first and the second temples were destroyed, same day, several hundred years apart. As I was listening to your prayers, it's obvious that most of you think that we're kind of in evil and unsettled times right now. Somebody prayed that the truth would be exposed, and I will tell you that in many cases that will do no good. You all are, I'm sure, aware of the fact that Planned Parenthood got caught out running a human chop shop, where they're basically taking babies and chopping them up for spare parts. And within 20 minutes, the New York Times had put out their talking points, and everybody goes back to normal. The only shame that's involved there is, ah, got us on tape. But there was no change of heart. Now, I'm sure all of you have figured this out. But in, what, 20-some-odd years, my lightning-fast mind hadn't picked this up until this week. So I'm going to share it with you, but I'm sure you've all figured it out. The second place that Israel goes to in the Parade of Homes today, the second place they go is to Elam. There are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees at Elam. I finally figured out what that means. 12, of course, is the 12 tribes of Israel. 70 is the 70 nations. Israel is supposed to supply the water that sustains the 70 nations in a desert place. And that mission for Israel symbolically happens virtually just as soon as they cross the Red Sea. So this is something that's baked in the cake from the beginning. God's purpose for Israel is that they serve as his conduit to the 70 nations, and that in that they provide water, the Holy Spirit, word of God, lots of metaphors there to the 70 nations, and that the palm trees can then flourish in this desert land because they are supplied with the word of God through Israel. One of the things that that should make obvious, or at least it does to me, is God is going to use Israel for that purpose no matter what. Because that's what Israel was brought out of Egypt for. Now, we've talked about this lots of times. It's a theme that I'm comfortable with, and most of you have all heard this. But the idea is God would like to have Israel fulfill that function living in the land where everybody comes to Jerusalem, and Israel is a testimony to the power and the goodness of God because they are blessed and they flourish. That's what everybody wants to have happen. But Israel, unfortunately, doesn't always carry out her side of the bargain. So what God then says is, fine, if you aren't going to carry it out for me in blessing, you're going to carry it out for me in exile. But I'm still going to use you for that purpose regardless, because you're the ones that, that I've chosen. And you accepted the responsibility. One of the things at Sinai is, he asks them, will you do this? And they said, yes, we will. So... They're committed. What I want to talk about is where we are now and how we find ourselves in this situation and what we're supposed to do at this point. For those of you who have been around a while, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 29. And Isaiah 29 describes the process by which Israel goes into exile. So I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 9. 
So Isaiah 29, 9. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. Who poured it out on them? God does. So God does this. The Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. He has closed your eyes, the prophets, and has covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. So we'll get to the end of the chapter. At the end of the chapter, that gets reversed. Their eyes get opened, the book gets opened, and so forth. So this chapter basically describes the last 2,000 years. Now, it was written by Isaiah in regard to the northern kingdom as they were going into exile, but applies to the current exile that started 2,000 years ago. So the deal is that when Israel is about to go into exile, God removes the prophets, who are the people who speak to Israel for God. In other words, they're God's voice to Israel, the prophets. He covers their heads, the seers, closes their ears, if you will. A seer is a wise man, somebody who can tell what's going on. Those people are removed. And the last thing he does is he closes the book. What book do you suppose he closes? Scripture. And for the last 2,000 years, we have had the physical book in our hands. But I can go to a dozen churches in this city, and I can ask a dozen different pastors, what does this mean? And I will get a dozen different answers. Because the book is closed. Now, I believe that the book is in the process of being reopened. And I think the process of reopening the book began after World War II, after the Holocaust. Israel was reestablished in the land. Judah is the first one to come back in from exile, just as Judah is always the one who is first to come back from exile. It's interesting that the Christian messianic movement, of which we are members, really sort of took off when people my age, and I was born during the Holocaust, I was born in 1944, the forefront of the modern messianic movement, which is Christians coming back to Torah. And most of us were born about that time. So what I pray is that the book is in the process of being opened. And by that I mean the Sunday church those who have grown up in the New Testament, most of you came out of the Sunday church, and most of you know that they spend most of their time in the New Testament, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not being critical here. But now we have this movement of people who say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a whole bunch more there, and they're now reading the New Testament in the light of the Torah. That's how I read it. And it changes a whole bunch of stuff. Just one other thing. I'm now still in Isaiah 29, and I'm now down to verse 17. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. So at the end of the chapter 
the things that God turns off as they're going into exile, he turns back on. And it is my fervent prayer that we are living in a time when those things are getting turned back on. And, oh, by the way, God is still using Israel. Now let's go to Mark 13. What that describes is the end of the age. And you have the same thing in Matthew, and you have the same thing in Revelation. But I want to read now Mark 13, 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now notice the sequence here. We read in verse 1 through 23, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, all that kind of stuff, right? And then in 24 it says, after that tribulation, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give it. Where else do we see that very same thing? Revelation 6, don't we? Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Does that sound like Mark 13, 24 through 27? Almost the same words, isn't it? Now, those of you who have been around a while and have heard me teach for a while know that I am of the opinion that we are between the fourth and the sixth seal right now. Remember, the first seal is the white horse, and the white horse is the guy that rides out and he's got a bow but no arrows. And sort of a standard interpretation of that is conquest by deception. Ooh, does that sound familiar? Is anybody right now being conquered by deception? Then you have a red horse, which is war itself. Then you have a black horse, which is famine. Then you have a pale horse, which is plague. And then you get to the fifth seal. And the fifth seal is something that happens in heaven. Anybody know what the fifth seal is? You've got the martyrs under the altar. And specifically, what kind of martyrs are these? They've had their heads cut off. Any of that stuff going on right now? It's not something we're going to be able to observe. It happens in heaven. All we get told is that it does happen. But I am suggesting that it's very likely that that process is going on right now. So the next thing we are waiting for is the sixth seal, which we read about in Mark today and we read about in Revelation. I'm back in Mark now, starting in verse 20. In those days after that tribulation... The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and then he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So it is after that that we get gathered, assuming we're his elect. And I, again, pray I'm one of those. And so it's after that process that God goes out and gathers his elect. 
which means that there's something we're supposed to be doing while that happens. And by the way, for those of you who have been around a while, you know that I'm not a rapture guy. If you are a rapture guy, that's okay. You can join us for lunch. Nobody's going to get on your case. But the Sunday church rapture is those who believe in Christ get sucked up into the overhead and they watch from the mezzanine while Satan and the Jews duke it out. And if they're right, they can explain it to me on the way up. And if I'm right, they can come to our tent in the wilderness and we'll explain it to them and it'll be okay. You know, we'll still break bread together. It's it, nothing to be grumpy about. But anyway, my take on this is that we are going to be in the wilderness and God is going to send his angels out to gather us. So, what are you supposed to do? We have an understanding that I will suggest that lots of people don't have because we are people who understand or think we understand or try and understand, sincerely try and understand the entire book. And we see the New Testament in light of the Torah, not the other way around. As such, you've got some responsibility to people who are waking up and becoming confused and saying, what is going on? And what we can say is, what's going on is what's predicted. Exactly what's predicted. Prophecy works. One of the passages of scripture, Revelation 22.10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So the explicit instructions to John is that Revelation is not to be a sealed book. And again, those of you who heard me teach Revelation know that I believe Revelation is straightforward, not hard to understand at all, not mysterious, not difficult. And I will suggest that it has been made artificially difficult by people who are trying to keep you from understanding what's going on. And God says that it's not sealed because you need to know what's in there and you need to understand what's in there. Because if I am right and all of your Sunday friends don't get sucked up into the overhead and get to watch from the mezzanine, they are going to be confused and upset. Understand that people who are expecting to get out of this, if that does not happen, are going to need some spiritual support. They're going to need some understanding. They're going to need some explanation. And they are going to need some comforting. And you're in a position to do that. So, first thing you need to do is stay in Scripture so you can understand what's going on. In other words, you should be able to read Scripture and you should be able to see the day's headlines. Just like I said, gee... We are being conquered by deceit. You should be able to see that people will love the lie rather than the truth. That's in Scripture. You will see that people will call evil good and good evil. That's in Scripture. You should know those things, and it shouldn't surprise you. Feel free to be upset about it. Feel free to be angry about it. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you be unemotional about this stuff, but I'm suggesting that it shouldn't be a surprise to you. And you should be a resource to people out there who don't have the same understanding. That's part of your job. Be not afraid. Be at peace. I will tell you a story. When I was a young lieutenant, as many of you know, I was in the Army, and I was in Vietnam. And we went down into the jungle on the Cambodian border, and I was uh, an engineer platoon leader with an infantry company. 
and we walked into an ambush. And standing, oh, probably about from me to Paul, was a guy named Buzz Armstrong. And by the way, I had to look that up because I kept thinking Buzz Aldrin and then Neil Armstrong. Have I got this guy's name right after 45 years? Is it Buzz Armstrong? It is Buzz Armstrong. And Buzz was another lieutenant, and he was the artillery forward observer. And in the first rattle of gunfire out of the bushes, his radio operator standing next to him was killed. So he's standing there, radio operator on the ground. He's got this guy's radio, and he's calling in artillery. And he's just calm. And I'm looking around to find something to shoot at, and I get my eyes on Buzz. And Buzz is calm. And you know what he did? He calmed me down just by being calm. And so I was able to go about my business and get the stuff done I needed to get done because of his calm. Now, we were talking about it afterwards. It was kind of funny back at uh, base camp. And he says, you know, John, I've never seen anybody so calm. You calmed me right down. (laughs) And I'm telling you, fear is contagious. Peace is contagious. Peace is contagious. So as you're going through this stuff and you're looking at all the junk that's going on in the world and you're just getting righteously angry, as I say, go ahead and be emotional, it's okay. Don't lose your peace. Because your peace is going to be extremely important for the people around you. And if you don't feel peaceful, fake it. One of the things Buzz said is, you have this weird smile on your face. (laughs) I don't remember any of that. But he said I did. And as I say, I was definitely faking it. And the last thing is continue to speak truth and be active. Don't pull back into a little shell and disengage from the world. Your job is to be out there. We are the 12 springs of water that are going to sustain the palm trees in the desert. And things are getting really dark, and the palm trees are starting to wilt. You need to be that water out there. You need to be talking to your Sunday friends, and you also need to be talking to non-believing friends and giving them to understand that there's something out there that you have. You have peace. You have understanding. You know what's going on. You don't know what's happening in the times. And as things get darker and more difficult, that's going to be a precious commodity. Elohim, 